Hello, and thanks for joining us for the first GasCast episode of the new season. Uh, it's good to be back talking about Rovers, although it doesn't really feel like we've been away at all. Um, we hope you've been enjoying the interviews, the Skype reports, and the Time Machine episodes we've been able to put out to plug the Rovers-sized hole in our lives. Uh, but we're back, and it's great to finally have some Rovers content to talk about. Uh, I'm Max Alderson, your host for this episode, and I'm delighted to be joined by the enigmatic Oliver Nino. How are you, Ollie? I'm all good, mate. Yeah, I'm all good. I'm uh, excited to be on this because I don't think I've been a guest on a main episode for probably about two or three years now because I'm usually hosting or just not on them at all. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this. One of our founding members, me, you and Harley Thorne back in the day. So yeah, it's great to have you back on. Uh, Got a bit of an original vibe to it again. Um, Indeed. A bit different. Um, Yeah. And our second guest for this episode, all the way from Tampa, Florida, is lifelong gas head and great friend of the pod, Nathan Cartmel. Welcome, Nathan. All good? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's, you know, it's been a while for me too now with obviously not being able to travel over to record with you guys like I normally would. So uh, I really appreciate you having me on. It's uh, nice to talk about Rovers and, you know, a hell of a lot has happened and, and Rovers are actually quite good when we don't actually play football. Um, so we found. So yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks, man. To no the benefit of the listeners, Nathan has a, a retro Rover shirt on. What season is that from? Nice. It is the Ian Holloway, we should have gone up but didn't go up season. The, the absolute, you know, it was the, the best and worst Rovers season ever. 99-2000, um, um, Avic home shirt. Uh, my favourite yet worst season ever watching the gas. So yeah, it's a, it's a shirt that uh, brings a lot of happy and sad memories at the same time. And then a Tampa Bay flag in the background. Tampa Bay Lightning, ice hockey team. Uh, playoffs are about to start uh, and they've all flown up to, we're going to turn this into a Lightning podcast now. They have all flown up to Toronto, Canada. Every single player in the NHL, half from in Toronto, half from Everton, and we're going to play in a bubble. So getting getting ready for that too. Um, that will be the last of the Tampa Bay Lightning content on the podcast. <laughs> right. Um, before we go any further, I just want to get a quick word in about our sponsors, Kahuna Flooring. Um, Kahuna supply and fit all types of flooring for your home or workplace. Friend of the pod, Steve, uh, comes to you direct with a sample selection service and offers deals on a supplied and fitted carpets, vinyls, LVT, engineered wood and more. Uh, get in touch with Steve today on 07917 and mention GasCast to receive 10% off on all orders. Steve's been doing my parents' conservatory and he's doing a great job. I really can't recommend him more uh, and 10% is a great offer. So get on it, GasHeads, if you need any flooring doing because he is the man for the job. Uh, let's dive straight into it then. Uh, we've got lots to talk about since we last did a main episode of the pod. Um, where should we start? We should probably start with the outgoings. Um, the out-of-contract lads, Gavin Riley, Tariq Holmes-Dennis, Liam Serkham, no real surprises other than Tony Craig, but we've spoken about all of those before on previous episodes earlier on in lockdown. Um, Nino, anything you'd like to say about the, de- about the departing Tom Nichols before we go any further? Uh, I... I'm not going to be harsh on Tom Nichols. It obviously didn't work out from here. I had big hopes when he signed. Didn't happen for him. Uh, I wish him all the best wherever he ends up. I don't think he's got a club at the moment, but I really hope he does well because he always put in 100%. You couldn't ever fault his effort for us. It just, yeah, didn't happen in front of goal. He's a nice little player and I hope he can find his Exeter form of the past uh, again in the future because, yeah, he's just a nice guy. Yeah, very civil of you. Gascast sends its best wishes on to Tom Nichols for the rest of his career. No ill will here. Um, Two outgoings I do want to talk about. Um, Ollie Clark and Ronan Menese, both joining up with Graham Coughlin at Mansfield Town. Let's start with Ollie Clark, uh, who turned down a new contract at Rovers. 
to move to Nottinghamshire, maybe in pursuit of a more active first team role and a wage that benefited that. Uh, Nathan, were you disappointed to see him leave or were you sort of as vacant as Nino and I have been about it? Um, I really like Ollie and he's been a great servant to the club. Um, I think, uh, however, I think more so, even more so for him than us. I, I think it showed when Rovers, I think, were only going to offer him a one-year deal. It was kind of more of a sentimental one year and, you know, you may or may not play as much and but here's a one-year contract to thank you for your service kind of thing. And I think they mentioned they were going to offer him a testimonial too. Um, but, you know, I think for him getting a two-year contract, I think a two- or three-year contract and promise of regular football suede, I know Mansfield pay really decent wages for um, League Two. The only thing that surprised me is I think he's still a League One caliber central midfielder. I think he'll be too good for League Two. And the only other risk is, um, is you know, Mansfield aren't guaranteed to come straight back up and, do you want to get stuck as a League Two player for, you know, when you should be hitting your prime as a player, et cetera? I, I just feel like he's, he's still a League One standard player and could have held out for another League One club. Nino, do you think we're going to miss him more than we anticipate? <clears throat> uh, so my thoughts on Ollie Clark were that I wanted him to stay, but I wouldn't have kept him as a first-team player. But I think he would have been handy to have in the squad. Uh, to bring off the bench. And I actually think we'll miss him more off the pitch than on it because personally, I don't think we've seen a consistently good Ollie Clark at Rovers for maybe two seasons or so. Now he's had good patches of form, but I don't think he's had a full good season for a few years. Um, but I think probably as a character around the place, leadership, the fact he's a gas head and he's got so much passion for the club and for playing for us and his will to win, his determination, you know, all those sorts of things, which you don't see in stats uh, as such. I think we'll miss those qualities about him more so than we will on the pitch because I don't think on the pitch he brought any kind of assets which we don't have anymore with Ups and a go-go. Uh, Grant, who's come in, who I know we'll go on to talk about. So I don't think we'll miss anything that he brought on the pitch, but off it, I think we will miss him in the changing rooms, yeah. So is it not more about replacing that kind of dressing room presence with new players who have leadership qualities um, isn't that sort of a better value for money than keeping a player on just for their off-field contribution yeah yeah I would say so and I think we probably have gone some way to replace in uh, some of his, his off-field as, um, attributes with with the centre-backs we brought in the two experienced lads so so I think we probably are on our way to doing that, um, which I was really pleased to see, actually, that we brought in two of those experienced heads at the back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think we will miss him too much, if I'm being honest. And it sounds like he's picked up a really bad injury at Mansfield. So I don't think he'll actually play for them for quite a few months now, unfortunately. So that's unlucky for him. Yeah, that's, that's unconfirmed at present. But there do seem to be some sources at Mansfield which are saying he's um, had some ligament damage in pre-season training a couple of days in and could potentially be out till Christmas, which is a shame because he's sort of, he struggled with his knee knees ever since he's come up to league one. Um, and I think he had a good run of form and then he had that knee injury and he's not really been the same since. Um, I know he's mentioned it in a couple of interviews while he was with us saying that he was, his form, his bad form had been primarily down to his inconsistency with his knee injury so I do hope he gets that sorted because he's been struggling for a few years now but you know I, I agree with you I, I don't I don't think we'll miss him on the pitch because I think he's been poor for, for two years really the last two seasons I don't think he's really done much um, he won player of the season last year and I was I was gobsmacked um, at that awards evening when when he got 
given given the the player of the season because I thought I don't really see what he's done other than the occasional twenty yard goal. Um, you almost burst out laughing if you read the name out, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Well, I was expecting James Clark, off. and it was it's only Clark. And I was, <laughs> I was like, thought it was the Oscars, and they had the wrong name in the envelope. Yeah, yeah. I should have just had a different <laughs> name. Um, but yeah, it was. I just don't see what he he's really given us the past two three seasons, and I don't think he warranted more than the contract offer we gave him. I thought it was, from what it sounds like, a fair offer. A squad role and a reduced wage is pretty much what he's worth to us, especially because he's an injury risk as well. So yeah. for him to go elsewhere and get a better squad role and more money, fair play to him. If he can get that, his agent can get him that, fair enough. But we shouldn't stick our neck out on the line and, and pay him more than he's worth just because of his off-field contribution because you can replace that with other experience as we seemingly have done. So... I don't I think, think we'll miss him. I think as well, you've said it several times on the pod, well, more than several times. He Last couple of seasons, he'd lost what he was. We didn't know what he was. Was he a CDM? Was he an attacking midfielder? Was he a central midfielder that did both? And I think that was the problem, that especially with the managerial changes, et cetera, and you know, the way you know, all the managers have shifted around our style of play and everything. He kind of got lost in all of that, and he forgot the type of midfielder that, he wanted to be or, or was successful at being which was you know box to box and everything else and I think that goes down to being at a club for too long I think a you know a, a fresh environment you know injury aside will be good for him yeah definitely yeah spot on um let's go on to talk about Roland Menezes then uh he signed a one-year deal at the start of June and then sold seemingly out of the blue by the end of July uh good business Ollie. I mean, I think amazing business by the club to get him to sign a new deal so that we get a fee for him. You know, as, as soon as it, I wasn't surprised to see him leave, um, actually, I, because there was strong rumours that he was going to leave for Mansfield in January, wasn't there, on, the, on deadline day. That almost happened. So I wasn't surprised to see him leave. I was after he'd just signed a new deal, like you said. But yeah, it's a great move by the club to tie him down so that we do get some money for him because we've seen too many players leave on a free in the last few years. So, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a big fee with him only having a year left, but, you know, something's better than nothing. And um, yeah, I, was, I was a bit disappointed to see him go, actually. I, I think he'll... Maybe he's not League One standard right now. I think he's probably a good League Two defender, though. And I do think that with the right coaching at the right club, he will go on to be a really good League One defender, if not higher. Um, but, I mean, obviously, we are very well stocked at centre-back, so it's not surprising to see one of them go. And, uh, yeah, I think he'll be good for Mansfield, actually. I really think he'll do well there. So, yeah, I, I hope he does. Yeah, it's, I certainly felt like he improved last season uh, significantly on from the season before. And I was sort of hoping this year he'd kick on. Uh, but that changed when we brought in the two new centre-backs, both of which are already League One quality. And that sort of has shifted the landscape somewhat. Um, we thought maybe he'd go out on loan or be used as cover given Davies's injury problems. Is selling him now the right move, Nathan? Um, I, it, probably. I, I think for him, was he going to be happy being you know fourth, fifth or sixth choice for his development at a League One club? Probably would have played if we are going to have uh, cup competitions, probably would have primarily played in cup competitions and maybe your right injury cover. Um, I think it's the right move if we don't think he's going to suit the style of play. I think it's clear that, you know, Ben Garner wants centre-backs who can get the ball down and, and play a bit 
Um, I think that was one of the only things that Rowling couldn't do. I, th- I, I like Nino, rated him. I think he has, has a high ceiling. Maybe at the moment that ceiling isn't above a League One level. Um, but I, I think it's still, like Nino said, it's a good bit of business. It's, it was a clever move to tie him down. And then, and then knowing maybe that Mansfield will come back in for him. And then also hopefully we have some sort of salon clause because... Um, you know, he really impressed in League Two for Swindon when he was there, and they were desperate to sign him from us at that point. So if he ends up being, you know, one of Mansfield's best players and, and statistically, you know, a very, very good League Two defender, they could easily end up selling him on, um, you know, for 250k plus um, from that level. So hopefully, we've added a sell-on clause in there too. Would I have kept him for cover? Possibly. Um, but, you know, we can always, if things got really bad, um, Grant, obviously, who's come in, can play two different positions. Um, we have Mark Blittle, if things got really bad, who can also fill in at centre-back too. So we will probably be okay. Um, it, it's kind of an 80-20. Um, I'm, I'm pleased that, you know, both for him uh, and for the club to get some funds in. Um, but we'll wait and see. It, it could end up being a mistake in the long run, but we'll wait and see what Roland does. He's the only one that can prove us wrong on that, really. I would yeah. say that both with um, Rowling and Tony Craig, it's their <clears throat> lack of ability on the ball that has meant that they've both left the club. Yeah. Because obviously we all know that Garner wants to build a team who can play out from the back. And in order to do that, you need central defenders who are comfortable on the ball and comfortable stepping out with it and picking out a pass into the midfield. And Rowling and Tony Craig, that was a big weakness for both of them. You know, I think both of their first reactions when they got the ball was to look for a long long ball up to the the front players JCH or whoever was up there and that's just not the way Garner wants to play and at Tony Craig's age you're not going to get him to change and he obviously didn't think that Rowling had it in him to become as comfortable on the ball as the centre-backs we've both already got and have signed this window will will be as well so um, so I think that's probably what's let him down so he'll suit Cogs because he'll I'm sure he'll just be lumping it up up there um, so I'm sure he'll do well there but yeah I don't think he's suited the way that Garner sees us developing yeah and you have to sort of trust the coaching team on that because I, I guess that's something that's quite difficult to coach um, because you know as a centre-back especially when you're young you have those habits of, of clearing it and safety first and, and training that is more difficult often these ball-playing centre-backs are originally central midfielders when they're younger who are just a bit bigger than the rest of the lads and then they sort of evolve to be pulled back to centre-back and play play from deep it's easier to coach it the other way around than to, to it's easier to teach a centre-mid to become a centre-back than a centre-back to become a centre-mid at a young age so I think to teach those on the ball abilities to to roll in when he's come from Western Supermare no disrespect to where he's come from he was obviously Cardiff Academy as well but a bit more his upbringing in the footballing terms is a bit more non-league and a bit more rugged it's difficult to train that whereas the likes of Key and Harry's who's come from an academy like Swansea who have that sort of passing ethos is going to be better suited to, to train in that way um, and I, another thing I think Rollins potential and development were masked or maybe overshadowed by just how impressive Alfie Kilgore has been this season and I think if we didn't have Alf at the club I think we'd be a lot more keen on investing time to developing Rollin and playing him in league matches. But as it is, I don't think we can afford to give him the game time beyond those cup games. And to be fair to the lad, he doesn't want to keep on going on loan on the pretense that he may or may not play for Rovers in the future. So yeah, for me, it's the right call. Um, yeah. We've got other centre-backs like Alfie and um, Kean. Kean Harry's is only five months older than Rollin. Um, so I think 
we've got players we can invest in and, and develop. And I don't think Rollin was part of that plan. So I think you're right, Ollie. Um, it's been a busier start to the window than usual, with Rovers quick out of the blocks to make five permanent signings ahead of pre-season fixtures. Before we jump in and discuss them, are either of you surprised at how proactive we've been at the market, or is this the new norm? Go on, Nathan, I'll let you go. Who was going to go? Um, I think when you look at how many players left, um, no, I'm not. Um, the only thing that's been a lot better compared to normal is that Rovers have done their business early, which is also benefiting us. Looking at the rules that are coming with the salary cap, we seem to have kind of got a jump start on that, and, and a lot of these salaries aren't going to count in that in that cap. Um, but we had a lot of players to replace, um, and especially now with Roland leaving, with with Tom Davies also having a long term injury, unfortunately for him again, um, the, the numbers don't surprise me um, with with how many had left the club. Um, and with others, you know, contract situations, etc. Um, no, I, I fully expected us to be active, maybe not this active early on because Rovers didn't used to be active early in the window. It was often a shortcoming that we would talk about. Um, so, you know, a little bit surprised and, and unsurprised. Yeah, I'm thinking back, I can just hear Steve Hamer saying in those press conferences how teams like Rovers need to wait for the end of the window to sign key targets and how we're often bottom of the pecking order and, and last to the last of the table really and we sort of have to be patient while clubs higher up the pyramid do their business first not been the case this summer rovers going straight for key targets early rather than waiting for maybe high profile names to become available so times definitely seem to be changing in that regard um i think that sorry to interrupt i was just going to say i think that in terms of our our recruitment i think we're just on a completely different level than yeah. we have been in the last couple of years with um <clears throat> I know Widrington came in under DC but it felt like when DC was at the club uh our recruitment department or whatever you want to call it was sort of in the process of being set up and now we seem to have obviously Widrington's leading it a whole recruitment scouting team underneath him we've now got analysts working with us Garner's mentioned that a couple of times during the break I know he was huge on us getting some um yeah, an analysis department because he, he sees that as a vital part of recruitment and it is the way it's going in modern football. So we've now got that to help us. And I think the fact we've made these early signings just shows how hard Ghana and all the recruitment team were working during the break when there was no football because they must have just been watching videos, going over clips, looking at data and yeah. just pinpointing exactly who they wanted, went out, made the early offers and yeah, got the business done early. So it's really impressive. But I just think that in general, Rovers are just a completely different beast now when it comes to recruitment than we have been in a long time. I'll even give, um, I'll even give uh, Gascast a plug. I listened last night to the episode that uh, Mets had done with, with um, how have I forgotten our CEO's name? Martin, Martin Starnes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. With Martin Starnes um, and Tom Gorringe. And Martin Starnes literally said word for word what Nino just said. Like they spent, uh, you know, Ben and, and Tom, what's my Ridlington, spent the whole of lockdown doing all of their pre-transfer stuff, watching, you know, um, game clips, everything. They must, have, they must have watched a hell of a lot of League One, League Two and other games during that time. And we've, they've put the miles in and worked really hard. And, and he was quoted even saying to Mets that, um, you know, most other clubs seem to be kind of, you know, sat on the backside not doing a lot that it was locked down and we're not going to do any work whereas we really really did a lot of the groundwork early and I guess it's showing in, in you know the players we've been able to bring in well an example of this is obviously we're going to talk about it a bit more later but Max Aimer at Gillingham it seems yeah. like the, the Gillingham owner was waiting to hear when the new season start date was before he offered 
Aimer a contract and we've jumped in before then. The lad's out of contract. He's not contracted to Gillingham, so we've made him an offer before Gillingham have even talked to him. So we almost snatched him out from underneath them because they were too busy sitting on their hands waiting for the EFL to say something about when the season would start. We, you know, the season was always going to start and we always needed players. So we've jumped on it. We've been proactive and we've been successful through that. And I think the teams that are going to succeed in this league next season are going to be the ones who get this summer right because it's such an important summer. There's a lot of clubs struggling financially, so not everyone's going to have the the same wage budget we have. But those that don't need to use it smartly because there's a lot of free transfers out there available and players want security right now more than ever. So us being able to offer Aimer that nice and early, he saw that security and probably jumped on it. Whereas Gillingham, his club, had probably said nothing to him all summer. They've lost out because they've not been proactive. So yeah, it's, it's a bit surprising that Rovers are being this professional, to be honest. Yeah, definitely not used to it. It's a pleasant surprise. But um, I think it's fair to say that this is a buyer's market, isn't it? With all the free transfers there are out there. And I think it's probably also fair to say that a lot of League One and League Two clubs are going to be running with smaller squads next season in order to keep the wage bill down. So there's going to be a lot of very decent professional players who are really struggling for contracts when it comes to the new season starting. So... You know, as you said, Max, people like Aimer, Baldwin, etc., are probably just delighted to get such an early offer from a club like Rovers, who seem to be, you know, ambitious and wanting to go places. And I'm not surprised they snatched our hands off, really, because I think we're just quite an exciting proposition now, which is nice to say. Yeah. Shall we talk about some signings? Sure. Cool. Let's go through chronologically then, because um, that's probably the most logical way to do it. Uh, I'll take you both back to the 18th of this month when we announced our first summer signing, Chelsea's Josh Grant on a three-year deal. Uh, The 21-year-old spent most of the previous campaign on loan at Plymouth, winning promotion to League One. Um, He's a versatile player who claims he can play anywhere in defence or midfield, but has been signed primarily as a central midfielder for us. Uh, I'm just going to keep this broad. Nathan, what do you make of the signing? Um, It seems a good signing. Uh, You know, I think the the key change when you read up about him or when I read up about him beforehand was um, when uh, Ryan Lowe at Plymouth moved him from centre back to CDM. Um, When I looked at his ratings, um, he was, he was averaging a lot lower as a centre back and he made mistakes and he struggled. They, they, Plymouth saw something in him, um, moved him into a central defensive midfield role and bowler accounts he impressed and they were really desperate to sign him longer term um, with how well he was playing so you know he was in a very decent side for League 2 last season in that position and as Nino said earlier with with squads and etc getting um, smaller having a player that can play both centre-back and in a central defensive midfield role is only going to help us we need all the versatility we can get in the current time so yeah he seems like a good signing yeah and it's unlike us to hand out three-year deals just going to ignore the Kyle Bennett fiasco um I mean (laughs) generally in recent years it's just the standard two-year we offer players even young players does that worry you Ollie as it sort of naturally carries more risk um no it doesn't worry me not with someone who is the age that Grant is because uh they can obviously see a lot of potential in him you know I don't think anyone else has been given a three-year deal as of yet by us this window so the fact they've given that to him means that they can obviously see a really good player in him and um he's come from Chelsea who obviously we have connections there with Weil and with uh, Majora our new assistant manager so I'm sure that there was conversations between them with Chelsea to get more of a feel for what sort of player he was so 
you know, there's probably been a lot of background done on Grant compared to even more so than our other signings. Um, so yeah, they obviously feel he's worth it and hopefully it kind of fits our model now, doesn't it? To buy young, develop and hopefully sell on in the future after we've got a good few years out of him for a decent fee. That's the way we're looking to go now. So he completely fits what we want to do. So yeah, I think it's, it's exciting. And also I, th- I think it's quite a big coup for us to get him because obviously he was at Plymouth on loan last season, as Nathan said, once he changed from centre back to defensive midfield uh, the Plymouth fans were raving about him and said what a good player he was and how he was standing out in that league in that position. And Plymouth wanted to keep him. You know, I think they actually offered him a permanent deal, but he's chosen to come to us instead. And Plymouth having come up, or obviously in our league, I'd say they're probably a similar size club to us. And usually when you get a player go out on loan somewhere, have a good loan spell, if that club then wants to keep them, that's usually where they end up. You know, it's quite rare for another club of a similar level to come in and sort of poach them from under that club's nose. It's like we've done with Plymouth. So, yeah, I think it's a really good signing for us. Yeah, I, I mentioned he's been brought in as a defensive midfielder. Um, Ups and Anagogo in themselves are quite defensive already. Maybe him playing there frees up Upson to play further forward or maybe he's not in his plans, I'm not sure. Um, either way, it's an area of the pitch we're looking to pretty thin in, if I'm honest. Um, so I'm glad we've added some depth there. And are seemingly building for the future too, like you've mentioned, Ollie. Uh, speaking of the future, along with Daly and Barrett, that's another young player brought in by Ghana. Are you guys a fan of this approach, or do you think that this sort of leaves a void of leadership in the middle of the park specifically? Um, I mean, I think, like you've said, there's probably more more to come. Um, I think the middle of the park is still the main area we need to improve in. Um, I think still the, the, you know, the elephant in the room for us is there's still, especially I would say with Cirque's going too, um, I, I actually was slightly more upset than maybe most about us letting Cirque's go because it, on, I know he's had his struggles, but on his day, he was still, you know, our only real proper central creative midfielder left at the club. Um, so I think that's the main area of concern for me is that um, Josh Barrett obviously is a project who I think end up being that charismatic talent in the middle of the park um, and be more of a central attacking midfielder. But until he's up to that, that that's the, cent- the middle of the park is still the area probably left I'm sure they're looking at because, again, our main problem last year was creativity from, from that central midfield position. And I think that's a huge gap that we still need to fill. Yeah. Um, Nino, do you reckon he'll be a first-team regular or do you think he's going to be kind of a jack-of-all-trades utility signing? I think he'll be a first-team regular. Yeah, I do. I think if he's fit, he'll start on the first day of the season. And obviously, if he plays well, I think he'll keep his place. Yeah, I think um, he mentioned in his interview that one of the things that attracted him here was he was saying that uh, Garner's got a specific role for him in mind and that he was excited by the vision that Garner has for him and stuff. So, you know, I doubt he was excited if Garner said, yeah, you're going to be on the bench for the first season. <laughs> so he's obviously going to come in, I'm guessing, and go into the team. And I think he'll be our holding player to start the season, yeah. Yeah, quite a few players who've come in have said that they've been impressed with what Garner said he wants to do with them specifically. I was listening to a youngest this morning and he was saying similar that when he spoke to Ben, he was almost in awe of what, how specific Ben was with what he wanted to do with him rather than just, yeah, I'm bringing you in as a striker or yeah, I'm bringing you in as rotation for JCH. He was quite uh, open about what his plans were. So I think he's probably done one of those uh, Marco Bielsa style like PowerPoint presentations for each player. <laughs> 
um, to show them when he's trying to talk to them. I think he does seem like that sort of manager is that, you know, signings and scouting and plans seem to be done to a very, very, very high detail. And it wouldn't surprise me if he had a dossier to show each player that he wants to come in. Um, well, he had enough yeah, time over lockdown to get a few PowerPoints whipped up, didn't he? So, <laughs> exactly. sure. yeah. Um, yeah, the few days after Josh Grant, we announced our second summer signing, Jack Baldwin, on a free transfer from Sunderland. Um, Six-foot centre-back joins on a two-year deal. And at 27 years old, he brags 130 games at this level with both Peterborough and the Black Cats. Are you happy with this one, Ollie? Um, yeah, I am. Really good experience, as you said. He's been at some big clubs, uh, obviously mainly Sunderland, but Peterborough, a decent level club as well. Uh, he went for big money, I believe, either to or from Peterborough, half a million. They, they One of the clubs paid for him not too long ago. So, um, you know, he went for a big fee. Uh, which is promising, I guess. Um, I'd say my only reservation with him is that it sounds like he's massively a confidence player from what Sunderland fans have said about him and what um, Roker reports said on our scout report about him. They basically said that you could sort of, if you had a bad game at the Stadium of Light with a full crowd there and he made a, a bad pass or made a mistake, you could almost visibly see the confidence drain out of him when the fans got on his back a little bit. And obviously we know that the men can get a bit tasty with their own players if there's a few mistakes made. So I'm just kind of hoping that I think for him more so than any of the others, it's really important that he gets off to a good start with us and has a good, you know, solid first 10 games, performs well, the team's doing well. And if that happens, then I think he can really cement himself in the team and be a good player for us. But I just... I would worry about him specifically if he got off to a bit of a rocky start. It sounds like he's the sort of player who wouldn't recover from that as easily as maybe some of the others. So I've just got my fingers crossed that he makes a good start for us, really. Yeah, we've not had much luck with confidence players in the past, have we? Looking at you, Tom Nichols. Um, so yeah, hoping from, from what a few people have said, he was alongside another young centre-back in Flanagan at Sunderland and they kind of both needed that senior figure, that Tony Craig next to them to sort of, similar to how Lockyer did when that season he had a, a really good season in League One was when he was alongside Tony Craig. I think that maybe Baldwin needed that at Sunderland and coupled with the fact that he's playing in front of 30,000 fans who are expecting them to win the league, maybe that pressure was just too much for him. I think maybe he can be more influential here alongside an experienced player like Aimer who can sort of help him along. And in the back three as well, maybe that'll suit him more. Um, he did seem to lose his way a bit at Sunderland. Um, like I just said, the high-pressure crowds at the Stadium of Light. Do you think he can sort of thrive here at the Mem then, Nathan, under less pressure? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if either of you have seen it or the rest of people listening probably would have. Um, he featured quite heavily in the first series of Sunderland Till I Die, mm. the Netflix documentary. So they documented like his signing, his family moving to the area. And they obviously, at the time, it was a big transfer because he was, you know, Peter was almost their centre-back. And he was having a really good season. And it was when there was a, when you get to that bit in the documentary, they, over Christmas, all of a sudden, they lost a couple of games really heavily. And uh, him and the other uh, centre-back took a fair bit of stick um, as along with the goalkeeper. And he never really recovered um, from that as much. And then there was a change of manager too. And I think, you know, there's a recipe for that. But like you said, the, the men can be hostile, but I still don't think it's as hostile as about, you know, 30,000 Mackham screaming at you when you make a mistake. So I think he'd be okay. I think you're right. I think a back three would really suit him. Um, 
also I did see he went out to, on loan to Salford last season too. And he was also playing as a CDM for them at times. So he is another one that can also be a dual role player. Um, they, Salford seemed to play him as a CDM just as much as they did centre-back. So that's another bow to add um, from being another utility player to sign. But I, I think the potential's there. He's been a very, very good League One defender before. I, I can't see him not being so again. Um, if we give him time and don't get on his back too much, uh, he's another player I'm really pleased to see at the club. Yeah. I think in terms of him being a confidence player, he's potentially someone who could actually really benefit from the fact that at the start of the season will be played with either no fans at the moment yeah. or limited capacity because obviously there's not that volume of people there to, to get on his back if he does have a bad game or whatever. It's, it's less pressure as a player and you can sort of play your own game and be more natural, I guess. Um, so in, in terms of him just acclimatising to playing at the Mem, playing with his new teammates, playing a new style of football under Garner, etc. The fact that there's no or limited crowd there could really help him. I'm hoping so anyway. Yeah, great point. Um, uh, one thing that struck me about his interview is how much he seemed to claim he was a great figure in the dressing room and he was a leader and, and liked to see himself as a leader. He was captain at Peterborough at the age of 23. Kind of strikes me as Tom, very Tom Lockyer-esque in that he was captain at a young age, tried to play at a higher level and then has sort of come back down again. Um, I'm hoping with a club where he can sort of kick on and, and have a really good season with, um, especially in a back three where we're sort of trying to play it from the back a bit more. I think him and Kean Harry's are a good, might be a good fit because they're both apparently quite good on the ball. And then you have either one of Aimer or Kilgore in the middle sort of doing the traditional centre-back work. Um, so I think he could be a good fit, but we'll see. I like that he's versatile as well. Like you said, Nathan, if he can fill in at CDM when we need him, then that's going to be useful as well. Um, Let's move on to Max Aimer then. Uh, we mentioned him briefly there before, but our third summer signing is probably, at least in my eyes, our most impressive of the lot. Uh, Rose were able to secure the services of out-of-contract Gillingham captain Max Aimer. The six-foot-two German joins on a two-year deal and was one of the standout centre-backs in League One last summer. How impressive is this signing on paper? And do you think he'll be as influential here as he was at Priestfield, Nathan? Um, it's a huge signing. Yeah, I, I think he will be. I think it's always a good sign. When we briefly mentioned it earlier. When you see a chairman of a club and most of a fan base having an absolute meltdown that he's gone somewhere else in the same division, that's always a really good sign. Um, he, for me, is that exact kind of, you know, captain, leader, legend moniker that Tony Craig was, but just slightly younger. Um, he's got great football league experience. I think arguably, when you look at it, he was probably, the, you know, the the third or fourth highest rated centre-back in the division last year. Um, he ticks all the boxes, um, and I think it's a cracking bit of business to get him in early doors. Um, I can't see anything but, but good. Not to heap too much pressure on him, but I can't see anything but, but good things coming. Um, it, it's one of, you know, I would say arguably the best free agent signings we've made in quite a long time. Um, very, very impressive. Yeah, the meltdown was quite enjoyable, I have to admit. Um, it's usually yeah. us on the other end of it, isn't it? So it's nice to see it another team is. having a meltdown. <laughs> yeah. um, does this, along with the Jack Baldwin signing, put your mind at rest, Ollie, following the decision to let Tony Craig leave the club? Uh, yeah, it does, actually. I was disappointed to see Craig leave because uh, it was quite obvious that we'd be signing a lot of younger players this, season, uh, this summer sorry, with not a lot of experience. And obviously, Craig had that in abundance. So I thought we would really miss that. And obviously he played really well for us last season. So I was disappointed to see him go. 
But as soon as we signed Baldwin and yeah, mainly Aimer, that did completely put my mind at rest because I just think he's a brilliant signing for us. He's the sort of player who more so than any of the others we've signed. I just see him as sort of plug and play. Like you know what you're going to get. He's been in our league for the last five years or so with Gillingham, been their captain for most of the time, been brilliant for them every season. The Jills fans are absolutely gutted to see him leave. Um, there's not a lot of acclimatization. Acclimatization. Is that even a word? Acclimatization. Acclimatization. That is a word. Good. I'm going to use it. So there's not a lot of acclimatization for him. Um, and I think he's just going to come in and almost be like the Van Dyke signing for Liverpool, where you just know what you're getting and he's just going to slot into the team and instantly improve the level of our defence. Um, as Nath said, not to heap too much pressure on him, but I just really can't see any reason why he's not just going to yeah, be a brilliant player for us. Not to, be not to heap too much pressure, but he's going to be the League One Virgil Van Dyke. He is the next Van Dyke. Bristol yeah. <laughs> Rovers, Champions of League One 2020-21. You've heard it here first on Gascast. Series three, episode one from Oli Nino. If anyone wants to remind him of that at the end of the season, um, he was Gillingham's captain. Uh, Ollie Clark's left the club. Would he be your choice of captain? And if not, who would you guys be picking as your captains? Um, I would say at the moment, um, it would be him. Um, I think with the amount of new players we're bringing in, um, and also I think the ones that came in in January, we've got to remember, we've got like another three players in like Daly, Harry's and, and Barrett that hardly played too. It's a hell of a lot of new players. And I think having someone who's been there, done it around the block at league one level, he can set the tone. He can set the example for everybody else. The only other picks I would probably consider maybe Abzagogo, um, who also sets the same tone, work rate, etc. Um, apart from that, um, I'm struggling a little bit. It's a much younger squad in most other areas and most of our other experienced heads have moved on. Um, Upson as well, maybe. But again, he doesn't seem like a big kind of captain leader role type. I think he just likes to get on with his own work and rate. So yeah, a Gogo would be the only other one I'd maybe consider as a long shot. But for me, it's a no-brainer. He comes straight in as captain. And what about you, Ollie? Yeah, I would agree. I think because if he's fit, you can guarantee he's going to be in the first eleven every week, which I'm not sure you can with a go-go and some of the others. Um, you've also got Kilgore, but maybe he's a bit young and you probably don't want to heap the pressure on him of giving him the captaincy at, at such a young age. So you probably just let him develop and do his own thing. Um, you could give it to JCH if he's still around, but I mean, at times I'm not sure <laughs> the way he absolutely um, lays into some of our other players when they misplace a pass or something. I'm not sure it's the sort of, captaincy vibe I get off him at some point so yeah I'd give it to Amos straight away to be honest I think he's perfect for it I think yeah. with Alfie I think with Alfie you're right I think we saw what both the captaincy did to Locks and to Ollie Clark in the sense of they seem to be too wrapped up and worried about all of that and, and they both saw dips in form at times um, initially when they were first given that armband and the weight that comes with it whereas you already know 100% that Aimer can handle that because he's been doing it for years in this division anyway I, you're right with Alfie I wouldn't want to give him that burden I wouldn't want him to stop what is a, you know a fantastic player and make him have to worry about a ton of things at the moment that he doesn't need to worry about and just focus on getting even better than he already is yeah we capped off a flurry of signings last week with Sam Nicholson last Wednesday, the fourth signing in five days. He joins us from Colorado Rapids on a free transfer after mutually terminating his contract in Denver. Um, he signed a two-year deal. 
comfortable playing on either wing, full of tricks, pace, strength, and technical ability. Um, there's lots of footage out there of him and his time in America, and he definitely looks like he passes the eye test and he looks a bit of a special player on the highlight reel. Um, how excited about this signing are you guys? I think our friend in Florida should take this one. I'm sure he's seen more of him than I have. <laughs> I have. Um, I got to see him. So MLS games are televised over here and they have like national and nationally televised games, etc. And I got to see him a few times um, for Colorado uh, and Minnesota. So he joined Minnesota. I mean, the, the guy from the Colorado podcast you had on was fantastic. Uh, he's covered a lot um, of the bits and pieces on him. Um, but when he joined Minnesota, they were a brand new franchise. There was quite a lot of pressure on that. They were a new team. Um, he was in and out of the side there. Um, when I watched him for, for Colorado, they're, they're really not a very good MLS team in, in recent seasons. Um, and he did, whenever you watched him, he was exciting to watch. He was fast. Um, I, I tweeted out, he reminds me a lot of, of Bill, um, Billy Bowden. Um, as in he's kind of an inverted winger. He seems to always be looking to play on that opposite side and cut inside and, and, and cause problems, get shots away. They played him in a front three. Um, he almost at times was a striker and would kind of revert around um, in different positions up there. But yeah, very exciting player. He's got a lot of pace. He can link the play. Um, he always stood out for me whenever, like I said, Colorado were a poor team um, the last couple of MLS seasons. Um, and I think if you put him around better players, also his kind of assist ratio and goal ratio would go up. And that's the only worrying thing is that he didn't score a lot of goals in MLS and didn't get a lot of assists, but the talent is there. And I think if you work on him a little bit at a League One level, I think we've got a really good signing. Yeah. And uh, as I spoke to Matt from Holding the High Line, the Colorado Rapids podcast. Come on the Rove. He pointed out that the data you have to look at it kind of skewed because they play less games a season as well so for them yeah. for a winger to score seven goals is a very good season um i think sam was getting four or five so kind of equates over a 46 game season to about seven or eight in in the league which would i'd be happy with so he also reckons that um he's better than league one he was surprised to see nicholson sign for us um he compared him to Lyndon gooch at sunderland but he said he was potentially a better player than Gooch, um, which if that's the case, is great news for us because I, I think Gooch is a fantastic player every time we've played against him. Um, he seems very unpredictable when he's on the ball. He's got five or six different things he can do, plays on the inverted side and has a great shot on him as well. So I'm happy with the signing. Um, the only reservation I have is where do we think he's going to fit into the formation and the squad because Ollie, I was speaking to you the other day and we seem to think that we're going to be playing wing backs this season don't we yeah so I, I think we'll probably play wing backs but I think we'll also play a front three as well so I think it'll be a sort of three four three formation uh, and I can see him probably being on one of the the wider forwards either side of JCH playing inside the field a little bit with a wing back going on the outside which means that he can cut in onto a stronger foot if he's playing on the right cutting onto that left foot like Bill used to do uh, and have shots from outside the box and what have you. Um, I mean, I've not seen I've not seen him play, so I don't want to go into him too much. But from having watched a few clips of him on YouTube and what have you, he just looks like he's a sort of off the cuff type of player, a bit unpredictable, and can sort of decide a tight match by doing something you know out of the blue. Um, and I think we've well, certainly since Bowden left, we've really missed that sort of player. I think you know we. Last season in particular, the squad was very um, 
I don't know what the word for it is, but there wasn't any players in the squad who ever did anything that sort of caught your eye. You didn't really have like a wild card that you got. Yeah. You had no idea what they were going to do, but it was going to be good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think you need at least one player like that to decide these tight games. Uh, They're the match winners at the end of the day. So if if that's the sort of player he is, which he sounds like he is, then no, it's great. I think we we really sorely miss that sort of player. So yeah, Rovers fans will love watching him. He he he's unpredictable and like I said, and and pace and it's everything you want to go to football and pay money to watch. He's that sort of player. And you're right, we haven't had that for a couple of seasons at times. So yeah, I, he'll be if if he plays as well as he did or looked in MLS to me, he'll be a fan's favourite pretty quickly at the moment. I think he's um I think he's going to do good things. Yeah, and I think I, I can't really highlight that more than what the guy said on on the Scout Report episode. And um, if you guys are interested in hearing more about Sam Nicholson from a, a Rapids fan, then please do check out that episode. It came out last week. Um, I chatted with Matt and he was very insightful. So yeah, give it a listen if, if you want to know more. But he was basically saying how they had a tight game about a week ago after Nicholson had, had left the United States. And he was saying to his friend, I, I just wish we had Nicholson on, on the bench to bring on because this game is so drab and we need someone to light it up. And Nicholson is that player. So he seems to fit the bill of what we need um, to unlock defences because, like you said, I, I, I didn't mind Ginnelly and um, Mitchell Lawson. I actually thought Mitchell Lawson had something about him as well. But they were a little bit, well, Mitchell Lawson was a bit raw and uh, Ginnelly was a little bit predictable on the ball. And we need someone who can surprise us with what he's doing on the ball and surprise defenders to sort of get get us more effective in that final third because that's probably where we're weakest at the minute um staying on the final third our final signing of this uh flurry of signings has been haven't and waterlooville top goal scorer jonah ayunga um i thought it was going to be it for signings to be honest but then this happened this morning so I've had to like scramble down loads of facts and figures so we can discuss it. Um, <laughs> 24 goals in 41 games, um, but it's a big, big step up from National League South. What's the thinking behind this signing, do we think? Ollie? I think that he will come in and be back up to JCH or another main forward if JCH leaves. Um, I can see him getting quite a lot of substitute appearances. You know, with the size of him, he looks tall, strong, quick. He seems like a good sort of impact player off the bench to me, being the age he is and with it being his first season in the Football League, I think we'll mainly see him as an impact sub and maybe get some starts in the cup games and what have you. Um, But yeah, I mean, I can't claim to have seen too many Haven and Waterlooville games over the last couple of seasons, but um, I'm really excited by it because again, like Grant, it's another one who just completely fits the mould of what we're trying to do, where we're getting these players in young trying to develop them, sell them on in a few years. You know, it's, it's along those lines. And uh, yeah, he does. He looks like he's got all the raw attributes to go on and be a good player if we coach him up well. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. And he seems like he's, he's obviously a good finisher. If he scored that many goals for Haven, it doesn't matter really what level that's at. If he scored 24 goals or whatever it was, then you're a good finisher um, he scored goals with his right foot, left foot headers. I saw a little compilation on YouTube. Um, he seems like he's got a bit of skill as well. Got a powerful shot from outside the box. So there's definitely something there to work with. And the fact we paid a fee for him obviously means that we've seen something in him which was worth that. So, um, yeah. So I think we'll see him off the bench a lot, but I'm really excited to see what he can do, actually. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting you say that he scored, doesn't matter what level you score goals at, and that it will probably translate to some form of goal scoring at this level. Gavin Riley scored 22 goals in the Scottish second tier, which is arguably a better standard than the Conference South. Didn't quite translate. But for me, looking at a younger, I've watched the highlights and he, what surprised me is that he actually seems quite technical. Um, he's not just pace and strength and, and, and power and, you know, like the typical big six foot non-league striker is. He, he definitely seems to be able to use those tight spaces quite well to buy himself a yard of space and get the shot off, which is really important because I felt like Riley never really created anything on his own. He was kind of the finisher who needed, you know, the fox in the box. He was, he needed the chance created for him to score. Whereas a younger seems to be able to buy himself that space. Of course, he, it seem, he seems to run the channels quite well and he does link up well with other players from, from what I saw in the highlights. But he also seems to have something a little bit technical about him that makes him stand out. Um, and if we can work on that and coach that and get him to use his physicality um, to buy himself space like he had been in those highlights, then I think we've potentially got a really good impact player on our hands. Um, will, I mean, I do we... think, sorry, I was just going to say, I do think he'll be raw. I don't think we should expect too much from him this season. I, I don't want to sort of pile the pressure on him because it is a big step up. He's jumping up three levels and he is young, first season in the FL. So I think he'll be raw. I think there'll be a lot of parts to his game that need some polishing by Garner and the coaching staff. Um, but there's definitely something there to work with from what I've seen. And I've never seen a new player smile so much in their first interview with the <laughs> club. And that was so nice. He was just smiling the whole way through. He just looked absolutely buzzing to be here. So his attitude looks great. It's a signing that um, reminds me a lot of a kind of period in time before you, you guys really show my age. Um, when I think he's being bought in potentially as a low risk, potential high reward for the heir apparent to JCH. And we used to do this a lot. So back under kind of the Holloway years, et cetera, and, and around then, we signed a hell of a lot of strikers out of non-league that went on to make us like millions of pounds. You know, Duke Ellington, Barry Hales, um, Justin Richards was from that thing. And I think we were always back then looking a step ahead. And we would often, I mean, I remember, you know, going to away games and, and Bristol Rovers had Jamie Curran and Jason Roberts up front and the Duke and Bobby Zamora on the bench. Um, so we always did a good job of, of doing that. The only thing I would like to see for getting these younger strikers in and we do from non-league is, is a specific striker coach. And I think we, we miss that a lot. Um, I think you only have to see what Penrice used to do with those players. But then also when Marcus Stewart was at the club and, and he turned around Matty Taylor into a championship level, arguably striker too. Um, and he's out of work now and I think he's living back in Bristol. So it might be worth having a word again. But you're right. I, I would heed caution on us expecting a lot. Um, he has played all over the place. Me and Max were talking about this the other day. Um, obviously, he's been in non-league. Then Leicester signed him out of non-league as a development player. Then he went over to Ireland and played a lot. Um, he, he's got a decent amount of experience at different levels. But you're right. It's a huge jump. And, and I think, you know, I think as Rovers fans, especially when we sign strikers, we get very excited very fast. And I think you were almost seeing him more as a development sub player than we are anything else for next season, unless anything drastically changes with the JCA situation. But I, I love it as a signing. It's really good. I think the most important thing about a younger, which none of us have mentioned yet, is that he's just a beautiful human being. <laughs> he seems like a good soul, doesn't he? Yeah. He he, seems like I, mean, I, I mean, 
I meant physically, to be honest. He's just the best looking player I think we've signed in a long time. And I think regardless of who else we bring in this summer, he's going to win the best looking player of 2020, 2021, hands down. He's just are we, a gorgeous Are we bringing man. back the GasCast best looking award? Because we haven't, be. we haven't dusted it We are bringing it, it back and I have just awarded it to a younger. <laughs> Confirmed. Um, congrats, congrats, Jonah. Um, well I'm sure done. he'll be buzzing. What a way he to welcome be. him to the club. Um, you just alluded it to that to it there, Nathan. Maybe we've signed this with one eye on JCH leaving. Um, I would expect us to probably sign a replacement for JCH, but it does seem like he's a development option to eventually become our front man for the future. Um, it's been spoken about today by Garner that if Clark Harris doesn't sign a new contract, the one we've offered him, then we're quite likely to move him on and sell him this summer so that we don't get nothing for him because... Garner was saying in the past, we've done that with Tom Lockyer and um, Billy Bowden and Matty Taylor, where we've backed ourselves into a corner by not selling um, when we should have, and then either losing them for free or losing them for less than they're worth. Um, I think it's the case with JCH as well. So um, it looks like in the next few weeks, we're going to see the fate of Johnson Clark Harris. What do you guys in your putting your hearts aside and using your logic in your brains, what do you think is going to happen with JCH this summer? I'll start with you, Ollie. I obviously hope he stays. I hope he extends his stay at the club and is around for another year or two. If I'm honest, because it is a buyer's market, as I was saying earlier, I think that a lot of, well, some championship clubs who have a bit of cash burning in their pocket and they're looking for a striker I think they will look at JCH and see him as someone who they can probably take from us for not as much as they would have had to pay in the past. I think, and this is just a complete guess on my part, but I think probably if a championship club offered 750k plus, I think that we would take it with him only having a year left and then look to reinvest at least some of that back into a replacement in the rest of the squad. Um, and I'd be very surprised if there isn't a championship club out there who can spend that sort of money on him, even in the current climate. So, yeah, I think it's one that will probably rumble on for a few more weeks. And then uh, my opinion is that I do think we'll see him leave and I think we'll bring in a striker to replace him. But obviously I do hope he stays um, because, yeah, he's just been immense for us, but I think he'll be off. Nathan? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. We've, we've let too many good players go for nothing. Um, if you think of the amount of money we l- lost out on basically from what Lockyer, Bowden, Harrison, ex- you know, et cetera, we'll, we'll let go for. Um, you're right. It's all in his court. If he's not going to sign a new deal, then we're going to have to start getting in the habit of if it's 12 months left on the contract, that's the point where we're going to get you know, the most money for them. So we're going to have to cash in on that. Um, yeah, he's a phenomenal talent. The only thing to remember with him too is this is the biggest purple patch of his career. He's never scored goals of, on this consistent of a level before. And is he going to keep doing that? Also, last year, again, injury issues. He, he, you know, he missed most of preseason, which then he never really caught up with the whole rest of the season until we stopped. He was just starting to get in a little bit of form again before um, lockdown happened. Um, so I think, do you you know, cash out when he's at his highest peak of his career so far, that that could be kind of a, a more decent option than maybe 
investing and giving him a really big contract and then you know he's injured in preseason and he kind of has a stop start season again it's a lot of money I don't know if they'll see him as too high of a risk to not cash in now is, is my only um, caveat to it but he's been a fantastic player for us you know he single-handedly saved us from relegation um, the season before last so I, I love the guy but it could be the time for all parties that we make the most we can out of him right now. I think yeah. if you um, if you look at a club like Peterborough who you could say are the sort of club we're trying to emulate in a way with the way we're doing our recruitment now and moving forward I'm I think I'm right in saying that when any player there gets within the last year of their contract they put them on the transfer list and they are willing to you know look at offers and accept offers for players at least that used to be the way they did it up until a few years ago I'm not sure if it still is but um yeah, I mean, I think it's completely sensible for a club at our at our level. You can't afford to be letting players of his of his quality go for nothing. It's just a, it's just criminal, really. The fact that that's happened so much with us over the last few years. So, whilst it would be gutting to see him go and he'd be a hard man to replace, it's from a from the club's point of view and from financial point of view, etc. It's completely the right thing to do and the sensible thing to do, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it would be criminal to let him go for nothing. Um, 750k plus. I know like six months ago we were saying we wouldn't accept less than 1.5 million. A global pandemic's hit. Um, everyone, every single club in the football pyramid has been affected through one way or another. Um, there's going to be a reduced offer for him and I think we would be silly to not accept 750k for him when there's six, uh, 12 months left on his contract. Um and we risk losing nothing for him because as Garner said, we've put time and effort into developing him as a player and improving him and making him a championship quality player to then get nothing for all of that um, is, is not good. You need to at least get the wages back that you've, <laughs> that you've spent on him. Um, plus, plus your reward for developing him. Um, and I think we just need to cash in if, if we get a good offer. Um, obviously I'd love Johnson to take a new contract I don't agree with what you said, Nathan, about this just being a purple patch. Um, I agree he's not really scored goals before, but I think now he has found what is his best game, how to play the game, how to score goals. And I think he's consistently proven that he can keep doing outputting at that level. He scored 11 goals in 16 when he joined last season, season before last. And then last season, despite the injuries you mentioned, he scored 13 goals in 26, which is a, a goal every other game. Um, so his ratio, even despite being injured and, and playing through injury, is still phenomenal. Um, and I don't think he's going to lose that because he just seems to have it about him now that he knows how to score goals at this level. Um, so I think it would be worth trying to get him on a contract and without the worry of him dropping off because um, I think he is a quality, quality player and he's, he's proven that. Um, also, dare I say that he is quite injury prone. Like, he is, yeah. He's not been here that long. He does pick up a lot of niggles. He seems to be sort of half fit for a lot of games with us. I mean, he's scored goals in games that he's barely looked fit in, to be honest, during his time here. So it seems like fitness is a big issue for him. I know he had injury problems before he joined us. So even from that point of view, to be honest, it makes, you know, if we did get a 750k plus bid, it makes that look even more attractive because I'm not sure he's someone who you can rely on for 30 plus games a season, season in, season out, because his body just doesn't seem to be up to that, to be honest. Yeah, that was my, that was my, I think I just didn't word it very well. 
yeah. <laughs> that was my main that was my main where i was coming from is that i think at one point i think either with i'm right in saying with Coleman, he missed almost an entire year of his career um due to injury too so yeah that the i think we saw last year is that you're right it, he missed when he goes missing for decent chunks of the season it's so hard to replace him um when he isn't there when he's your entire focal point and that's the biggest risk is whenever you know he's guaranteed to definitely have a number of injuries through the season we've already seen that and it's you know replacing that kind of in bit part whilst he's gone waiting for him to come back you know it, it throws off the whole um kilter of a team for that period of time and 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 you know it puts a lot of pressure on like a younger striker like Ayunga or, or Daly or anyone else to find those goals so that that's the real risk reward for me is his injury record um yeah he, at league one level now he's a proven goal scorer it's more just you know if he's going to stay fit and remain fit um for an entire season at the moment it doesn't seem like he can do that yeah well time will tell on that one um we'll obviously be straight on a pod to discuss anything that does happen uh, either positive or negative in the jch front um we've talked about the players we've signed now let's quickly talk about the players we haven't signed uh, what areas do you guys think are a priority for us to look at and bring in players for next? Ollie? I Midfield is the definitely the main priority, I think. Um, we've obviously lost Ollie Clark and Circum. We've brought in Josh Grant, but I think we're missing so much creativity there. Um, we really need, I would like to see two players come in who are comfortable on the ball, good passers, creative, um, can sort of unlock a defence with a clever pass, you know, those sorts of players. Um, I think we, I mean, I don't think we've really had that sort of player for the last few seasons, to be honest. I'm not sure. I mean, Circum's had the good game every now and then. And obviously early on in his first few seasons with us, he was excellent. I'm not sure he's been that sort of player for the last couple of seasons, though. I just don't think we've really had a sort of good creative player in the middle of the pitch. And I think we could definitely do with at least one, if not two, of those brought in. Um, And I'd like to see another winger come in as well. So at the moment, we've got Rodman, Nicholson and Bennett, who probably won't play that much. So... Um, so I'd definitely like to see another wide man come in inside forward, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I mean, if I was being greedy, probably a left back slash left wing back as well, because I'm not 100% sold on Leahy being the starting left back for us next season. But um, yeah, if, if we were only going to bring in three, as um, I believe that Martin Stan said two or three more coming in when he spoke to Mets yesterday, then I would like that to be a couple of centre mids and a winger. Yeah, I... I, I agree completely um can't really add anything else to that nathan do you, are you in agreement or is there another area you think we should look at yeah i touched on it earlier definitely that you know attacking creative attacking central midfielder is still the key whether it's on loan or or through a permanent um i mean we only have to see what i mean we played coventry like four times last season with the fa cup games and, and liam walsh absolutely ran the show in every single game um and tore us apart in the midfield and it's and it's a player of that ilk in the middle of the part that we're absolutely crying out for and could be the key to unlocking everything else it's going to be such a tough division next year it's going to be a lot harder than it was last year um and i think if we don't have the creativity in the middle of the park um it's probably the difference between us pushing for the playoffs or being you know in a similar position that we are now well, one yeah. thing i will say about the creativity in the middle is that i have quite high hopes for barrett this season um I know he came in, he looked a couple of stone overweight, but apparently he's, you know, had a really good 
break this summer and been working on his fitness a lot. And Garner said that we've brought in a nutritionist to help all the players stick to a good diet and everything. So Barrett's McDonald's are probably out the window. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I really do think that he's going to go on. He showed flashes, even looking out of shape last season. He showed flashes that there's, there's something about a, him. There's definitely a player in there. Um, yeah. He's got something different and he, he's got that, you know, kind of midfield maestro look about him. You've only got to see at times he, he pinged around a couple of sort of 25-yard passes out of nowhere. And um, he's got that extra little bit in the middle of the park. You're right. It's just getting him fit and getting him some game time. And yeah, I mean, I, I would love that. If he, if he came back all guns blazing and he filled that role perfectly, which because again the Reading fans were upset to lose him if you remember at the time they thought he should be playing the championship for them so there's a hell of a lot of potential with him too and I think sometimes we're forgetting that too I agree with Ollie yeah he's gonna have to shake that uh, Muck Barrett nickname isn't he for um, yeah. all those, uh, egg McMuffins um, yeah it's, it's, it is frustrating when you see a player who's been injured for a long time struggle to get back to fitness um, and some players just the metabolism is different for different people and it just looked like Barrett is one of those guys who struggled to lose that weight that he gained when he was injured. Uh, I think Jamie White was another example of that. Um, obviously lower down the pyramid when we were in the, the National League who just couldn't get back to shape. It's good that Barrett's come back and he's a lot slimmer now because you can tell he's a talent and um, I, I really hope he's going to be an important player for us. So fingers crossed because we definitely need some creativity in the middle of the park. Um, and not just creativity, but players who can keep possession and win back possession and keep the ball. Because our possession stats are pretty dreadful. And it just seemed like we, w- we would lose. Every time we would get the ball, we would either lose it or create a chance. And then the opposition would have the ball again so quickly. We need centre mids who can like control the tempo of the game as well as just play that crucial pass. Because it's not just about splitting a defence with a pass with the CM. You need midfielders who can keep possession and control the game and I think that's just as important as having um, that vision to split split a defence open you need that composure and that uh, tempo in a centre mid as well so I'm, I'm really hopeful that whoever we do bring in has that quality as well um, Yeah I think um, sorry just to add as well I think that a go and Ollie Clark kind of treat the ball as a hot potato really you know as soon as they get it their strength isn't to be composed on the ball and look for a pass and spread it about. They just want to get it, give it to the nearest man and let the more creative players get on with the game sort of thing. Um, Upson's a bit more composed on the ball, I would say, but and Grant sounds like that sort of player as well. But I completely agree that we need, we need some midfielders in there who can just keep calm, pick out a pass, move, receive it back, pick out another pass and just keep us on the ball for a while because it sounds like the way Garner wants us to defend. He, he's mentioned a few times how uh, intense the style he wants to play is and I think without the ball we're going to be pressing quite high this season and that's not sustainable for a whole game if you're constantly not with the ball, if you're constantly getting the ball, giving it away straight away and having to press, press, press all the time because you're giving the ball away players are just going to burn out so we really need midfielders who can help us to keep the ball and sustain attacks for a long period so that we don't spend so long without it having to chase the other team yeah I, I what you said there is, is great I really agree with that it's it's that intensity that we've you can see it in glimpses last season but it's just not been sustainable because we lose the ball every time we get it so yeah to have those players in who can who can calm us down and aren't afraid to have the ball uh, is going to be the secret to success under Ben Garner, I think. Um, 
next season start date's been confirmed as 12th of September which is six and a half weeks away um, hopefully we see some pre-season games announced soon um, and can view them in some capacity so we can get some football back in our lives um, beyond the Premier League and other foreign top divisions um, it's been said that games are going to come back with reduced capacity maybe with masks too and obviously social distancing uh, and it may be the case that only season ticket holders too can attend games um, is this the best that we can hope for really at the minute guys yeah I mean, it's going to be, I think you're all going to be joining me on I Follow FC for, for a little while. Um, so I think uh, it'll be that. And I, I think it was, um, it's, it's a really good thing the club kind of did, did say to make sure for that last week of sales that people will get the I Follow access if they aren't allowed into the ground. It makes all the difference. Um, but yeah, I think that's the best you can hope for. Um, unfortunately for the time being whilst we're in this environment is that at least until I probably say later in the year uh, into the new year it's going to be a much lower capacity so just season ticket holders but you know it's shown from all the sports that are doing it right now is you, you soon get used to there not being anyone there and you get used to watching it on TV and everything else so yeah I think at the moment that's, that's the best we can do it'll be different and it'll be an adjustment but to be honest as Nino mentioned earlier about Baldwin I think it might actually work in our favor we've got so many potential new players coming in and as I mentioned before a lot of the players we signed in January barely got to play too um, it's a hell of a lot of players to bed in and gel and, and get used to this system we want to play and the style of play um, and we've had problems before you look at the Paul Buckle season with with you know lowering expectations in the sense of we get all these new players in and it doesn't work and the crowd gets on their back after four or five games and it all goes to shit. So um, I think in a funny way it might actually help us as as much as hurt us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to being allowed in the ground and seeing the boys in blue and white. I'm sure many listeners will agree. Um, it's been a big part of our lives for so many years and it's been something a lot of us have missed. So I just can't wait to be back at the Mem in some capacity, even if it is reduced um, reduced crowds, just so we can see the new boys and, and hopefully see some good good matches and get some points on the board, because um, that's all any of us really want. Um, let's wrap it up there then for this week, boys. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, Ollie and Nathan. Um, Gasheads, thanks for listening to this episode. Um, if you haven't already check out all of our chat with episodes we've done over the summer we've chatted with Adam Virgo Daryl Clark Jake Gosling Chris Lines um, Duke Ellington I could go on and on we've done about 10 to 15 of them and they're they're all um, very interesting and well worth a listen if you haven't caught up with them already so jump on those if you feel so inclined um, we've got more to come on the way as well so keep your eyes peeled for another one in the next couple of weeks um i'll say no more than that um until next time thanks very much for listening and up the gas up the gas up the gas come on the road